Hey, 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 closet busters and bold move makers. It is time once again for Life Uncloset. So I want you to gather around because it is time once again to kick down those closet doors of your life. We're here to escape our BS, explore our fears, and elevate our self-expression. I'm your host, Rick Clemens. I'm the bold move expert and that coming out guy who's going to take you to the party, the pulpit, the wake, and back to the party of living your life uncloset. So come on along with me and grab hold of yourself and get ready to step out, step up, and step into facing your fears, making your bold moves, and living life without apologies. Now let's get to the show. Hey, 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 Life Uncloseted family, it is time once again for Life Uncloseted, where we take a look at our excuses, our fears, and look for ways to live unapologetic lives by coming out of those closets that hold us back. And sometimes you just make a decision to, well, kind of walk away and go, I'm done. And you wonder what's going to happen. I did that when I walked out of my life, quote unquote, as a straight guy and moved on. And then suddenly I found myself walking out of other pieces of my life from my professional stuff to just about everything until I finally landed in my passion and my purpose. And I'm bringing a guest onto the show today who I met through my other day job, so to speak. Um, we are in a program together and I'm actually been one of his coaches as he's gone through Grant Baldwin's booked and paid to speak program. And he's from down under and we've had lots of jokes back and forth cause I couldn't remember where he actually lived initially, <laughs> whether it was New Zealand or Australia, but um, Shane Mallory is a guy that I've come to respect a lot through this program. And we just kind of thought he had some stories to tell about his own life on closeting and coming out to be who he was in a whole different way. Nothing to do with his sexuality. But um, anyway, I thought Shane's story would be a really good opportunity to talk about yet another way that we come out of closets and move through life. So welcome from down under, mate. I know it's morning where you are today. So. Uh, g'day, Rick. Yeah, it's really great to be here, mate. Yeah, it's, it's morning. It's, it's not too early. It's, it's nice. <laughs> yeah, yeah, and it's just beginning the evening here, so I'm just a little bit away from cocktail hour myself. So I figured this would be a good time for us to have our conversation, and then I'll, not that Shane drives me to drink, he doesn't. He doesn't drive me to drink at all. Um, but no, I thought this would be interesting because you're you, what you're doing now is a little bit different, where you spent a whole lot of your life. So um, let's kind of dive in. You actually were a police officer. Um, yeah, yeah. I um my my career basically started as a police officer as a 17 year old um i um uh i had a pretty rough uh time at high school um and um I, i've always tried to analyze this why i became a police officer and um i was pretty badly bullied um when i was uh the final year of um i suppose uh, primary school elementary school mm -hmm. and then when i went into uh into high school um it it just continued um and uh, I really don't know what what made me choose go to go down this road. Although I do think that probably that bullying had a, a bit to do it because I had sure. an opportunity at the end of of senior to go either down the radio DJ track mm. uh, or uh, join uh, join the police force. Wow. And um, uh, at that time, uh, the uh, radio station that I'd scored the job with was going to pay me seventy five dollars a week to be an apprentice DJ, and the uh, uh, police were going to pay me $110 a week to be a, uh, a trainee police officer. So, uh, being it always comes down to money, doesn't it? No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> let's yeah, see. Let's, so, 
possibly like get beat up all the time from thugs <laughs> on the street or be behind a microphone and having fun and playing music. Hmm. Hmm. Let's yeah, so I, <laughs> oh, let's go for the extra hundred, you know, whatever. You know, <laughs> 50, what's 50, you know, $50 more, you know? Um, pretty much, pretty yep, much. That's yep. it. So, yeah, I, and the funny thing was I went into the academy and at that time it was 18 months of training um, because I wasn't old enough to be sworn in as a police officer. Right. Uh, and funnily enough, I actually experienced uh, bullying there as well. Um, it, it, it was, it was like a, a private school environment, uh, yep. for, for boys basically. Um, and, um, yeah, just, uh, it didn't really improve. Um, but, um, and, and the funny thing is when I got sworn in, I, I, um, joined the police at a time when uh, they were <clears throat> the Queensland police, which is where I'm from in, in Australia, mm-hmm. were going through a huge, uh, anti-corruption inquiry. Um, and it was, it was massive. It was the biggest shakeup in policing ever. Um, so I was having to deal with that going into the police and, uh, getting, um, sworn in at 19. Um, I, I, I saw some stuff that, uh, still stays with me to this day. Um, I'm sure. um, just, uh, you know, uh, we had some terrible floods, uh, when I was first, uh, sworn in that I had to deal with bodies in cars and, um, my, my very first death was a, was a Miss Australia entrant, oh, wow. uh, which just, um, yeah, I, I, to this day, I, I never forget her face. Mm. She's the most, most beautiful woman. I, I, uh, and just, yeah, she unfortunately, um, collided with the tree mm. and, um, it just, yeah, the, the tree won, but, um, yeah, a whole lot of other things like that. But then the, uh, you know, I, I had a lot of funny things being harassed by nuns and habits on the side of the road. <laughs> Um, because I pulled them over for speeding. Um, <laughs> it was just those sort of crazy things. And I got to like, I ended up doing 26 years in the police. Wow. Um, and I got to the rank of senior sergeant, which, uh, we referred to, um, as being king of the shit. Hmm. Um, and my next rank, uh, was commission rank. Uh, so sort of, um, I suppose, uh, upper management. Yep. yep. And, uh, that, uh, we used to colloquially term, uh, so I was king of the shit and my next rank was to become uh, shit of the kings. <laughs> <laughs> um, oh my gosh. So where they pretty much will, the organization owned you and mm-hmm. could pretty much will do whatever they, they wanted to. Um, and funnily enough, I felt like I was getting bullied again. Interesting. Um, in that, in that, because they were saying to me, I was very happy with where I was in the organization. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, I, I, at this time I, I'd, I'd since uh, I'd been married and, uh, I had two daughters and yeah, life was pretty good. And I, I was really in a, uh, in a, in a good place. I was in charge of um, recruit training at the Academy. I ended up, I left the Academy and I said, I'd never go back to it again. And then I found myself back there 20 odd <laughs> years later. Um, and then I, um, uh, the, the, the organization was saying, well, why aren't you getting promoted? Why don't you want to go? You, you need to get up there. And it got to the point where, um, I started to feel a lot of anxiety, a lot of depression. Mm-hmm. Um, and, um, it really, uh, got to the point where after 26 years, I just said I'd, I'd had enough. Um, I dipped my toe in the water a couple of times. I, while I was a police officer, I also went away and trained to be a a high school teacher. Hmm. Um, so I took uh, some time away from police, uh, to teach at, at high school. Um, and things didn't sort of work out for me there with the, the department of education. They, 
promised me things and then didn't deliver. Mm-hmm. Anyway, I um, finally made the decision to leave. Uh, and it was, it was huge, huge decision. And I went into IT in, in education, hmm. in sort of like our, or what we call our TAFE, um, which is right. sort of like um, community college type of um, gotcha. uh, uh, setup. So yeah, it's um, and and, so and what it, was the what was the fear about like doing this? I mean, I mean, I know um, there's lots of layers in here, but you know, especially when you're like, okay, the anxiety depression is hitting, you've had enough, but then it's really scary to go, okay, I'm going to go make this decision. So was it financial? Was it you know, I don't know which direction I really want to go. All of we, the above. We, yeah, we, we're at a point in our lives where I had to make sure that I could still. Um, uh, you know, make enough money to right, actually, right. Um, uh, as Grant says, live indoors. Yeah. Uh, you know, it's always a, an advantage um, you know, exactly. <laughs> over, the, uh, over the other one. Um, so there, there was that. And there was a few things that sort of came up from time to time that, that I looked at trying to do, but they didn't, they didn't sort of match up. The, the work that I ended up doing in the community college uh, was a step down in terms of pay. Mm-hmm. Um, but um, it was a, it was a really um, a, a complete change of mindset. Mm-hmm. Um, it, it was quite funny actually. I, I was, I'd only been working with the, my new team uh, for about two months, and I do I do some acting on the side, and right. I was in a production uh, where I had to grow a beard, and I went to my boss uh, at the time. And I said to him, oh, excuse me, boss, uh, look, um, and I still called them boss and sir and <laughs> these types that he couldn't get over. He just kept saying, for God's sakes, call me Garth, call me right. Garth. Anyway, I went to him and said, look, I've got to grow this beard. Uh, do you have any problems with that? And he just gave me the weirdest look. He just, he just said, he said, I couldn't give a rat's ass what you do. Wow. Just, he just said, um, like what? And, I, and then it hit me. Like I had been so enculturated into this organisation that in the police, um, if you wanted to grow a beard, you had to take um, uh, a vacation um, wow. to grow the beard and then come back. Um, and so I was. There was that sort of so so enculturated in that that when I actually did finally make the decision and got to go, it was such a release. It was such a. It really took me a good twelve eighteen months to wash all of that that old me off it was really mm-hmm. really strange really strange do you feel like that old you was always there it just needed to be right to the surface oh definitely yeah. um the uniform was my was my costume right right uh, and and i i use that uh as a as an analogy for some of the recruits that i was teaching i would say to them that you put the costume on you become the police officer you take the costume off you become you Hmm. Um, and, and to this day, I still do that. I still believe that I was playing a role. Yeah. Yeah. And it's Um, so interesting because that's the parallel to someone who's in the closet. They're playing a role until they no longer can play that role. And the real self then just says, I've got to step forward. And once we give permission to the real self to step forward, that oftentimes is when it gets kind of scary because we don't... (laughs) even though that's who we've always been, it's like, okay, there's this brand new person. I was actually talking to another guest a couple of days ago and we talked about, you know, it's the grief and the death of, okay, what you thought you were is dying and who you really truly are is coming alive. Yeah. 
but it's scary because we've mm. been socialized, conditioned, created the habit of showing up in this certain way in a certain frame of mind. And then suddenly one day we're like, uh, we can't do anything more. This has got to stop and this has got to change. And it sounds like that's exactly what showed up for you. It's like, okay, the real me is finally here. hundred percent. Yeah. hundred percent. And it's now uh, in the, the, the work that I'm doing now in, in my speaking and MC stuff uh, that, that I, I see myself doing, you know, uh, for as long as I'm vertical now yeah. um, is it's that the, the more I realize or the more that I get to a point where I'm more authentic and that I don't give a shit mm-hmm. um, uh, about um, the, the more I actually want to help people and the more I want to talk with people about, about bucking that status quo. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's funny, I, I can see it in my daughters um, uh, that they, they're much more emotionally and socially stronger than what I ever was. Um, and I hope that's m- just me passing that on as, as a parent, but I, I really see that with the, with our younger generation is that um, there is that, there is a lot more emotional resilience there than perhaps yeah. what, what my, my generation had. Uh, and, and we stuck to that, that, that um, safety of right. the, of the, uh, of the, yeah, the nine to five job type of thing. So yeah, there is a resilience yet. There's also, you know, we talked about this just a few minutes ago off air before we came on about how close in age our, our daughters are, mm. but there is this interesting resilience that they have, but then there's also this need to be accepted in a whole new way because oh, of social media and everything. Definitely. So it's yeah. like you have the resilience to go be yourself, but you're still really like that being yourself is as long as it gets me more likes or gets me more views or what, you know, and I know I'm generalizing cause not everybody is playing that game, but there's a lot of it. And as I was talking to my daughters over the weekend about this, it was interesting to hear them say, it's just about me showing who I am. And I thought, well, that's an interesting lens to look at this through because who I am is this person. I said, but what happens when you don't get the likes? What happens when you don't get the followers? How do you manage that emotionally? And they neither one really had a good answer. <laughs> so I knew dad had the upper hand at that point. It's like, okay, <laughs> dad is still older and wiser. So here we go. So, um, but it is an interesting space. And I think even those of us that are speakers and, you know, doing what we do and getting out there, I know for me, I have to manage that a lot. It's like, okay, I just did this video. Why isn't anybody watching this? You know, or I just sent this, Mm. you know, or I just came off the stage and okay, I got a nice applause, but what didn't I do right? And I have to step out of that head. I have Mm. to let that ego go and go, Rick, is that the real you? Because if that's Mm. the real you, I don't like you, Rick. (laughs) I want to be the real Rick that, and I love what you said about, you know, the more authentic you get and the more you don't give a shit the more willing you are to go help other people do the same thing. And yeah. um, you and I operate from a very similar perspective. The whole status quo thing is like a big, it's just such a huge thing to me. It's like, why does everybody think we have to live by this status quo? And I realize there's certain things we do, you know, to make the world go round, you know, so to speak, there are things we have to do, but we get so caught up in, well, this is what you do. This is how you do it. And this is how you play the game. And I'm like, but the game gets boring. <laughs> Let's do something different, folks. Different, yes, yeah. different, and, yeah. And I know um, as we both work together, you know, through the speaker lab stuff, I've seen that over and over again, and I know you have too, and no disrespect for anybody in the group who might listen to this, but 
the thing I always try to help people do is, okay, I get that this is your thing. Now let's break out and make it even more you than yep. what we hear everybody else doing. Doing, yeah, know? definitely, definitely. Um, so, I just gonna, I did a I did a uh, talk just recently in in Melbourne, just sort of down south in Australia, uh, mm-hmm. at a, a national policing summit uh, on that whole thing of policing needing to break the status quo and break their current frameworks, otherwise they're not going to change. Mm-hmm. Um, and it, it was interesting because when I when I presented, because it was a it was a room full of cops, right. uh, as, as well as academics, and uh, cops hate being told, hate being suggested to them that there might be a different way of doing things, mm-hmm. and not one of them said anything to me in like question and answer or anything like that during the talk, right? But but afterwards and over a couple of beers at the end of the day, those man, you 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 just you just you're talking so much sense. And I said, well, mm. it only takes a couple to, you Start know, the ball. poke the bear and just see yeah, what yeah. happens, you know? Exactly. And yeah. I think it's important when you start to see that. And I see it quite a bit in my work, you know, whether I'm podcasting or when I'm helping somebody through my coaching or speaking in, in these places we go speak, it's that one or two people and sometimes a lot more, but you know, there's always seems to be one or two that like, just, they really get it, but they're not quite ready to like stand up and break the status quo, but they want to talk to you on the side. And those are the people I always like to give the extra attention to because it's mm-hmm. like, they're going to become the next evangelist. They're going to be the next one that takes the big step and 100%. to make them feel comfortable and confident in that to me is part of what I'm meant to do here is like, okay, I've kind of figured it out. There's people ahead of me that are helping me figure it out. They give me the confidence and the courage to keep going. And I just feel like that's part of me passing the torch down. It's like, okay, I've already done this. Now here's your opportunity. And the more people we can engage in this stuff and get people breaking through these status quo expectations, the more powerful I think we become as humanity and as a world and really stepping deeper into empathy and compassion to one another. So as you started to like break through this, what did you learn about yourself? Are you like, okay, I'm moving away from this. I'm going to step into this. I'm going to drop the costume and you know, you're going to be more authentic, but what was something you're like, wow, I, I didn't see this coming in myself. It's, it's, it's interesting. I, uh, I I made this decision or that what what I found was that with that sort of costume, I always had difficulty making decisions and I find now the more real, the more authentic I am, the easier it is for me to commit to a decision. Mm. And I, that's, that's something that, that, and that's, that's one of the things that I talk about is that, um, you know, the, the, the first step in, in anything is to make the call. And the funny thing was when I was a police officer, wearing the costume if i was at an an incident or something like that where i had to make a call right i could but that wasn't shane mallory that was shane mallory the cop right doing that um it was but uh what i was able to do since leaving is realize that shane mallory can do that too Mm -hmm. but i don't need to use a costume to do it um and that that um 
uh, that took a, a, a long time to, to come around to, to the realization. And by doing it, I, I as, just as you were saying there before, Rick, I find that I am, I am inspiring myself. Mm-hmm. Um, um, and I'm, you know, as I said, as a, as a struggling, well, not struggling, but a, an actor on the side, um, I can't believe that I, I'm not referencing Shakespeare too much. I mean, to mm-hmm. thine own self be true. Right. It's, it's, um, the, the truer you are, the, the, the clearer the picture gets. It's, it, it's weird and crazy, um, and, but it's true. It's so true. It is true. And this statement you just made about, I don't need to use the costume to do it. I, I find it so interesting and, and pow- empowering and aggravating and frustrating <laughs> that we put these costumes on. And then we wonder why we get so frustrated. And a lot of times when we put the costume on, it's because we're trying to do the one thing that we think is going to change everything, which is if I do this, then I'm going to fit in. I'm going to get approved of and all this other stuff. But yet, and my coach said this to me this week, he goes, Rick, when you just go and you just talk and you just do your thing in the moment, that's when people get you. That's when people are attracted to you. That's when people want to work with you. And he said, I've seen you do this. And then there's those times when Rick puts on the costume of, here's what I'm supposed to do as a coach, as a podcaster, all this stuff. And I know it. And sometimes I have to catch myself because I step into, okay, here's here's Rick the consultant or here's Rick the speaker. And what I realize is the more I'm just like, this is Rick and Rick's happened to go, he's going to go do some speaking now. And this is Rick and now he's going to go do some coaching. And this is Rick and now he's going to go do some podcasting. There is no costume change per se. There's a perception of, okay, now I'm doing a different task. But I think so many of us go, okay, here's the costume I have to do to be a father. And here's the costume I have to do to be a husband. When in all of it, we're just all of those things. But Mm -hmm. we don't need to put a different costume on every time. Because I think the costumes cause us to trip up. Or they set a false expectation that we may be living by what is somebody else's perception of what does Shane, the cop or Shane, the speaker or Shane, the entertainer or the actor, what is he supposed to be? And so then we try to live by that. And a lot of times we don't succeed because Mm. we're not being who we want to be as the actor, the cop, the speaker, you know, all of these different things. So, So back to your daughters, (laughs) because this is an intriguing thing because I see it too. Do you think kids today, and this is kind of a loaded question, (laughs) do you think they're actually more authentic or do you think there isn't really authenticity? It's just, they're just being, which is being, it's authenticity, Mm -hmm. but it's almost like in so many ways, I think they're just like, this is it. This is what I do. (laughs) I I think that there's less pretense with Mm kids these days or particularly my daughters anyway Mm -hmm. that they are like hey this is who i am right um and uh, and i also find that there's a lot more um social awareness of those kids and i wonder whether or not that that increased social awareness reduces that pretentiousness Mm -hmm. um Mm -hmm. uh because it's funny i mean i I do i do accents um right uh, and um if i happen to do an accent that is not of a caucasian Mm-hmm. Uh, they pull me up really quickly and go, uh, "Dad, that's racist," mm. and and it's this unconsciousness that I don't and I don't make the connection, but right. they instantly do. Mm-hmm. 
Um, and there's no intent or there's no malice in, in what I'm doing, even, right. even though um, uh, it, it's a realization that, Hey, yeah, you are poking the f- poking fun at someone's mm-hmm. race. And uh, I, I really like the fact that they pull me up on that um, mm-hmm. because it, well, it increases my self-awareness. Absolutely. No, every time I'm around my kids, it's interesting to see what I learn that is almost kind of been obvious to me, but I haven't really seen it in that perspective. Yes. And yes. then it makes it easier for me to go, okay, now I get it. Yep. You know, I, I, I can get it. And I guess because there's so much of the multi-generational stuff is becoming more of a focus because Gen X's and you know millennials and now Gen Z's are so much different than the baby boomers and our parents that it's like, we have to understand this in order to make it through. And it's not really that different because I know through generations and generations, we've continued to evolve, but now we have these lovely labels that we put on all this stuff. Mm -hmm. But I think it's fascinating to watch the same situation can be put in front of a baby boomer, a Gen Xer and a millennial. And the way they perceive that and act about it is so completely different. Incredibly so. Yeah. More so than I can ever. I mean, I remember as I was growing up and seeing the differences, how I saw my parents think versus what I thought, but it was more of, oh yeah, we just see, see things differently. Wasn't sometimes, yes, some of the things were greatly different, but for the most part, okay, I just don't see it that way. But I see now there's just, there's these chasms, you know, of how we look at things in the world. And, you know, we were talking again, before we came on the air about kids and, you know, kids growing up, getting married and stuff. And I said to Shane, you know, yeah, my daughter's, you know, she's been dating a guy for a year and a half. Looks like it's going to go the distance, but yeah, I don't want to get married till I'm 30. And I'm like, wow, can you imagine somebody saying that like 20 years ago, 30 years ago? (laughs) It's like, what's wrong with you? (laughs) This is every little girl's dream, you know? And it's just, it's, it's such an interesting lens to look at life through at this point and everything from politics to, you know, whatever, it's such an interesting space to play. Oh, so much. It, I, I, yeah. I, I try and, like you said, I try and use my kids as my own educators as, as right. well. Um, You're a much better dad. I use my kids as bait and I use them as labor and <laughs> <laughs> whatever, you know, you're here at home for the weekend. Great. Here's some things you need to do because dad doesn't need to do this. Uh, but no. No, I get it, man. Oh, uh, yeah. No, I, I have one at home and one, one moved out. So, um, the, 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 yeah, the one at home, um, yeah, we, we probably um, pile a few more things onto her mm-hmm. than what we do. But no. Since we're on that subject of kids, given that you've gone through this, like, shift and you've seen yourself move from, okay, this is the costume of the police officer to mm. I don't want to be that mm. and I want to be more authentically who I am, what do you think your kids see in that? Do they think, do you think you influence them? to some degree in that arena to kind of live that same way? I'd like to think so. I, I, I'm, I'm always a bit concerned uh, because, that you know, it, it's funny, like, as you say, you, ha- you have kids and they can be chalk and cheese. They, they've, mm-hmm. they've been brought up exactly the same, but they're completely different. Right. And I know that um, one would treat that my scenarios differently to the way the other one would, would treat them. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, we, we've always, uh, my wife and I have always still, instilled um loyalty and um those types of traits in our girls be, um, because i think they're, they're quite valuable things to have right uh, uh but also what we've tried to say is not at the expense of yourself 
Mm. So, um, yeah, I, uh, I, I'm, I'm always mindful of that. Um, but I always try and make sure that I've always got a plan B. Yeah. Um, and, um, I always, I, even when I left the police, uh, I still had a, a three month window where I could have gone back. Mm. Um, and so I was literally, um, you know, I had, I had a foot in both camps, um, to, to make sure that everything was okay. And then I said, yeah, no, I can definitely, definitely wow. cut the, cut the, the yeah. ties. Yeah. yeah. So you just said something that I think a lot of people kind of try to say they live by it, but I find a lot of times it's lip service mm -hmm. and, and the statement of not at the expense of yourself. And I'm just curious, and I'm going to give my response first before you answer, but I'm curious for you, Shane, at this stage of life, what is something that you know hands down, you would never let get in the way uh, being at the expense of yourself. And for me, what I know is I will never let anybody tell me who I'm supposed to be. I just, I'm beyond that because it comes back to if I bend into that space, and maybe I should phrase it a little bit differently. If I choose to bend into a space, then to me, that's not at my own expense. I'm doing this of will. Mm. But I will never bend into a space because somebody else says bend into this because that cost me my sanity, that cost me my confidence, that cost me my self-worth. It costs me so much. It increases my stress. And to do, do that sort of stuff, it's too much of a cost. And I just won't do it anymore. Yep. Yep. I, I learned that uh, in two circumstances, one in the police and uh, one in the, the job that I got actually that I went to after the police where I was put in circumstances where, uh, yeah, I was, I was uh, pushed into them um, and I felt that I had to do it for, um, uh, to prove myself. Um, and when all I was really thinking about, well, who am I really proving that to at the end of the day? Um, and thankfully both times I came out the other end, um, you know, battered and bruised, but f still, right. you know, still breathing. Um, but, uh, it's, it was from those, and it's funny, actually, the first time it happened to me, it was like, I, I got hit by a bus. I just got mm. absolutely wiped out and I didn't notice. And it was, it was Nat, my, my wife that actually pointed it out to me, um, that, that I was actually going off the rails mm. and, um, she's my my best barometer. Of if there's, uh, I get a bit emotional. If 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 there's someone that will that can tell me, or it's it's either my mum or, or or my wife that, that can say, yeah, you're not right, and mm. and you, well, I feel okay, I'm fine. Yeah, it's no good. Yeah. Nah, nah, you're you're not right. Yeah. Um, and the first time that happened, it it really um uh yeah, it really flattened me. The second time around, I had a few coping strategies that I had learnt from the, the last time that really um, enabled me to uh, do what you were saying there about bend. Yeah. Uh, and I got to a point where I knew that I, if I kept bending, I was going to break and I was able to step away. Mm -hmm. um, so, yeah, I, there, there's that, um, uh, I suppose... Um, 
thing that I've learned that I've now tried to as instill in, in, in our kids is that, yep, bend in, but like you say, but know where those boundaries are. Mm. Um, and the, the girls have done it actually in, in their, their, their first couple of jobs that they had. They could see that things were um, not, you know, they, they weren't, they were falling into very right. unhappy spaces and they were able to put some strategies in place, go, you know, start looking, start spreading their wings a bit further and um, able to, you know, find a solution to right. you know, either be a new job or a new set of circumstances, new group of friends, that sort of thing. So, yeah. You know, this thing about bending and like seeing this sort of stuff, it reminds me of a conversation I had just a couple of days ago with um, a friend of mine. And we were talking about U.S. politics and stuff, which is such a circus at this point. But anyway, and um, yours, yours is a circus. Why yeah. we could spend another podcast? Yeah, on we it. could do a whole on, <laughs> on so many others too. But um, you know, it's interesting because this friend said, "I just wish, I wish I could just prove to you know the people that he doesn't agree with the right wing and all this sort of stuff." Mm-hmm. And I don't know why, except that it was probably supposed to come out of my mouth. I said, yes, but here's my philosophy. If I have to prove it to you, I'm not being myself. Mm. If I'm just being myself, you see what it is. This is what I believe. I shouldn't have to prove anything. This is just where I stand in. And I find when I try to prove things to people, I end up expending way too much energy that could be used with me just showing up as I am and not having, not having to do this for them because it doesn't change anything 99% of the time. You know, it's just, it's one of those things, you know, to me, the things you have to prove is that somebody did kill somebody and, you know, all these sort of stuff. But for me to just say, this is my belief and I need to prove it to you. If I'm not living and breathing that, then I need to take the, the different evaluation, look back at it. And also I have to question, why do I feel the need to have to prove this to you? We just don't see things the same way. Same way. And it's that yeah. simple. Well, perception that simple, is true. <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah. Perception is so much. So it's, um, and it will always be their truth. Um, mm-hmm. um, and I, I learned that as a, a, in policing as a negotiation tech, mm-hmm. technique that, that um, as long as you accept that the way they're perceiving things is their truth, you can then deal with things that are periphery to that. Mm-hmm. Um, but, but yeah, you, you, the moment you just have to try and change someone around to your belief, yep. uh, you're yeah, pushing shit uphill. It's just Absolutely. not going to happen. Absolutely. Well, hey, buddy, I'm so glad we had this conversation about the closets of, you know, coming out of something like this and how you've worked through it. And we went pretty deep and we went to some interesting spaces here, but I love it because I th- this is so much the perceptions of what does it mean to come out of a closet and what does it mean to push through and stand on your own and be authentic and all these sort of things. It's what you perceive it to be. And if you can perceive and own who you are, in fact, a friend of mine said to me many, many years ago, Rick, the moment you will be successful is when you own. And this was when I was heavily doing coming out coaching is when you own that you are the coming out coach and it changed everything. Cause I'm like, yep, I own it. And this is who I am. And I think for all of us, the more we can own who we are, that is probably one of the biggest closets we can step out of. And Shane's really showed this a lot today, that the more you own who you are, 
anything becomes possible, even if it's growing a beard without having to take a vacation. So <laughs> anyway, buddy, well, hey, I'm so glad you joined me from way down under. And yes, he lives in Australia. I know that now. So we'll, <laughs> we'll, we'll stop all that. But um, great conversation, buddy. And I so appreciate you being here on Life from Closet and sharing your truth. Cheers, man. It's, it's been awesome. Hey, 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 Life Uncloseted family. Another episode of Life Uncloseted has come to an end, and it is time for all of us to sashay away and go face our fears, make those bold moves, and stand up to living our life without apology. But before you do, I've got a favor to ask of you. Would you hop over to iTunes or Spotify or Podbean or wherever it is that you're listening to this and just give us a little bit of love if you like what we're doing here at Life Uncloseted. Here's what it does. It helps other people find the show. It helps other people get to know what we're all about. And you just might help change life. In fact, if you really want to change a life, we'd love it if you just ask a friend to take a listen and see what they think. So that's it. Love you all deeply. I'm Rick Clemens, the host of Life Uncloseted. And never stop stepping out, stepping up, and stepping in to living your life uncloseted.